Well, welcome New City Church to our Good Friday gathering. And I never would have thought that I'd be gathering with you behind a computer screen and that you'd be watching this on your laptop or your phone or on your TV. Uh, it's, it's strange, unsettling times, uh, but I think it's in God's good grace uh, that we would be going through this during Holy Week uh, to remember the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ, uh, to remember where our hope is found, uh, to remember that God is with us, uh, and those are promises that he does not relinquish. Um, and so whenever you're listening to this or wherever you're listening to this, this might be a good Friday. It might be even earlier. It might be later, um, depending on when you grab this video. I'm really glad that you're here. And I, I just wanted to spend just a few moments together just reflecting on for a few moments about the cross of Christ and why we call it Good Friday. Uh, because Good Friday has the sense that it's something really good. But when we look at the cross of Christ, it's kind of confusing that why would it be good? This first century uh, death instrument crucifixion was was a horrendous way to die. Um, and yet historically, the church has called this Good Friday. So so why do we call it? Why do we call it good? Uh, and for many traditions, they've walked through kind of the seven sayings of Christ because when you look at the narratives of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the narratives of the crucifixion, it doesn't really come out and just say it directly. You know, what is Jesus doing here? Why is he dying? What is he accomplishing here? Uh, but the church historically has looked at the seven last sayings of Jesus, the seven things that he says from the cross, and kind of looked at those as a way to understand what is actually going on and what is being accomplished. And so what I want to do here uh, today is look at those seven sayings. I want to focus primarily on the last saying, but I want to give just a su summary of what the first six sayings are um, and why they matter, how they kind of build on one another, and then get to the last one and, and, and show kind of what the heart behind the cross is and what Jesus truly is accomplishing for us and why we say that today is Good Friday, that it is a good uh, day despite the horrific suffering that Jesus had to endure for our behalf and for the sake of the world. So when we look at the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross, the first saying, which is one of my, my favorites, because I know uh, if you're like me, you need forgiveness constantly. It, it comes from Luke 23. It says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So uh, in Luke 23, verse 32, it says, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And, and so Jesus is being tried as a criminal. He's innocent. He hasn't done anything wrong. And he's being tried and hung and strung up in between these two criminals who have committed crimes. So, so imagine what Jesus is saying here to these criminals and all that are looking, all the Roman officials, all the authorities, uh, even disciples that are looking from a distance, looking on. Um, he's saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If you knew exactly what you were doing, you wouldn't be hanging me here uh, to die. And so Jesus speaks this, this word of forgiveness to these criminals, and he speaks these same words of forgiveness uh, to us, because if you're, we're honest, we're just like those criminals, that we're full of anger, we're full of hate, uh, we're full of lust and covetousness, we're, we don't love God as we should, we don't love our neighbor as we, we should. And so just like those criminals, we, we may not have committed crimes in the exact same way they did, but in our hearts are all kinds of cr crimes that we've committed against God. And so here is Jesus speaking these words 
of forgiveness uh, to these criminals and to us. And, and what I love about this, this prayer and, and what Jesus says is that it says that nothing's beyond the grace of God, that no one is beyond the grace of God. No one is beyond God's forgiveness. No one is beyond God's grace and mercy. So, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Another saying from the cross is, Truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. And it's a little further down in our text in Luke 23, 39 to 43. One of the criminals, as he begins to realize that, that just Jesus is different, uh, that he's an innocent man. Why, why is this happening? He realizes his own sin before this God and, and, and asks him and pleads with him, Hey, can you remember me in your kingdom? Can you remember me? Uh, you, you could say in, in heaven or another way of saying in paradise. Could you remember me for my crimes and my sins? And, and so he, he asked for this, this plea of mercy, this plea of grace by, as he sees Jesus, he, he knows this Jesus, there's something different about him. There's something that struck him as different. And he realizes his own sins, just like Jesus said earlier, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The, the second saying is, is in the same vein as remember me. Remember me though I have sinned. Remember me though I am, I am not worthy to be before you. Remember me in your kingdom. Please forgive me, God. Please have mercy on me. Now, a third saying, which is is interesting, it comes in actually John's gospel. In John chapter 19, as Jesus is being crucified on the cross, his mother is there and another woman disciple is there. And he says very interestingly something. He says, woman, and this is in John 19, uh, 26, woman, behold your son. And later he says, behold your mother. It's kind of a interesting phrase. Why would Jesus say that uh, to, to to Mary? But some would say, you know, is this just Jesus's humanity coming out? Is is it is it uh, is Jesus showing his compassion uh, to Mary and to this disciple that he's going to die and he's going to go away? Her only son is is going to be crucified and, and and die in a horrific way. And so he's reaching out and saying, you know, here's your son. Behold, this these disciples will take care of you. Um, and, and it could be that on on one level. But I think most most commentators and scholars would say that it's really not about just Jesus' humanity coming out here, but it's what Jesus is accomplishing through his blood. He's making a new covenant. He's making a new family. That anyone that does the will of God is part of his family, brothers, sisters, women, men. There is no Greek. There is no, no more Jew. There is no more female. There is no, no male. And so when Jesus speaks these words to Mary, He's saying, I'm building a new family. I'm building a new community by my blood. Ephesians hints at this as well. Ephesians 2, that there, that there's, there's not two humanity. There's not Jew and Gentile and, and everyone else. There's, there's one humanity that Jesus is, is building around his sacrifice, around his life and his death and ultimately, uh, his resurrection. And so when he speaks these words, he says, you're my family. When he speaks these words to Mary and he speaks these words to this woman disciple, he says, you're, you're part of a new family that I'm making and creating by my blood, by this new covenant that's happening through my death, through my, my suffering. A fourth saying that Jesus says from the cross is probably one of the most famous ones is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see this in Mark 15, 33 to 39. Jesus is quoting Psalm 22. And, and there's this sense of an abandonment, that, that Jesus is experiencing the abandonment of God. That God has turned his back on him, that he is taking on the sins of the world. The scriptures in Galatians say that Jesus becomes a curse for us. He becomes sin for us. 
that we couldn't bear that judgment. We couldn't bear that weight. But Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, the perfect spotless lamb who was without sin, who was innocent. Remember earlier, this is an innocent man in between two thieves. But he's a worthy sacrifice because he committed no sin. So the sin of the world, the evil of the world, um, judgment of the world is being put on the back of Jesus. He's becoming sin for us. He's becoming a curse for us. And he's yelling and he's screaming to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? For a moment, God is going to turn his back on Jesus so that he can fulfill his mission for redemption. That sin has to be, be paid for. That God's a holy God. He's a just God. And so to be a just God, sin can't be brushed under the rug. It has to be done away with. It has to be satisfied. So my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus turns towards the darkness so that we could come into the light. Now the fifth one is from from John 19, 28 to 29, is simply, I thirst. As he's hanging on the cross... And they're mocking him. The the Roman authorities are mocking him. He's thirsty. um, And they offer him some some bitter wine. But I think this this idea of I thirst is it's not about physical, I'm thirst, I'm I'm literally thirsting, which he was physically, of course, and suffering his humanity again. But but there's something deeper on here because in John's gospel, time and time again. Jesus talks about this thirst, this quenching of this thirst, this eternal water that God offers. We, we see that in, in the woman at the well. Jesus comes and meets this woman and says, I have this water that's not physical water. Of course, we need water to live, but I'm offering you this eternal water, this living water that will satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. So constantly through Jesus' ministry, he's offering water to weary souls. And so as Jesus is being cut off from the Father, as Jesus, as the Father's turning his back from Jesus, he's longing to thirst for that kingdom, the presence of God, to be in, be in relationship with God. Again, his own soul thirsts for that. That Jesus, again, is being cut off from the land of living water so that we could have this living water in him, so that he could bring in his lost sheep as a good shepherd does. So Jesus is thirsting on our behalf so that we can have our thirst quenched. Now the sixth saying from the cross is simply, it is finished. Because from John 19, again, 29 to 30, it's the completeness, the perfection of the work of the cross, the work of Jesus on our behalf. It is finished. Very similar to the creation account. When God creates the world, in six days, and he sits back on the seventh day and rests, and he says, it is finished. It is good. Echoing creation, this completion of creation that sin had wrecked and marred the world, but now that Jesus comes as a once and for all perfect sacrifice. That's what Hebrews 10 talks about. That in the Old Testament, there was a constant sacrifice, animal sacrifice that had to happen because of the intentional and unintentional sins of God's people. And so God set up the sacrificial system to, to, there were weekly sacrifices, there were yearly sacrifices, but the problem is we keep on sinning. And so a sacrifice has to continually be made. And so the writer of Hebrews references this to the, the completeness, the perfection of Jesus' sacrifice, that there's no more, there's no more need for a sacrifice of sin because it's been completed in Jesus Christ. 
And what good news that is for us, for our own souls. There's no more striving. There's no need to perform for God. There's no need to be religious for God. There's no need to, to do penance for God. There's no need to try to live a good life so that God somehow will balance the scales that, that Jesus has taken our place, taken our sins, become a sacrifice that we couldn't do for ourselves. Jesus says, it's perfected, it's completed, it's over. Come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your souls. Stop working for me and rather trust in me. Receive me the gift of my mercy, the gift of my grace, the gift of myself. Now, the the last saying from the cross, the seventh saying from the cross, from Luke 23 is, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's a quote from Psalm 31. It's an interesting quote right at the end of Jesus' death on the cross. He's committing himself into the arms of his Father. He's about to die. Now, it'd be easy for us to kind of run over this saying real quick and just say, okay, he's dying, and he's saying, okay, take my life. But I I think there's something more that's, that's going on here. And if you happen to watch uh, Leslie's reading uh, from the garden and the curtain and the cross, uh, our kids director read the, to the kids, it talks about the, the, the curtain in the temple being torn. So as Jesus, in Luke 23, as he's dying, this curtain that's in the temple is actually being torn in two. And, and there's huge significance to what this means. And this is right in the context of Jesus saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. See, the the temple was a holy place. It's where God dwelled for a time. It's the way God set it up. So this is the place where where heaven and earth were to meet, where we'd come and worship God. God's people would come and worship and they'd lay their sacrifices before God. But there was this curtain between the Holy of Holies that no one could enter because it was a way of saying, stay out, you're sinful. There's a holy God who, who, who is, is here and you're not worthy to stand in his presence because a sacrifice has to be made. So the only way to come into that temple would be for a perfect sacrifice to be made. And so as the curtain is being torn, as Jesus is dying on the cross and the land becomes dark, he's saying, now, though you are sinners, you have full access to me. That sin used to keep you out, but now I've become a perfect sacrifice on your behalf. That sin no longer has the last day. There's forgiveness. There's grace. There's mercy. And if we read all of these sayings together, it makes total sense. Father, I forgive them. There's forgiveness because the torn, the curtain's been torn. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. A home, a place is already secure for me if you trust me and what I've done for you. There's forgiveness. There's a home. There's a place for you that is safe and secure. There's a a new family, a new community that you can be part of. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, what your background is. You now have a new family that are rallied around the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. They're rallied around his blood, his sacrifice, his once and for all sacrifice. You have a new family. That even if you feel forsaken, even if there's been times where you feel forsaken by God or forsaken by others, it's okay. God has done it for us. Jesus has done it for us. You're safe now. You're okay now. He hasn't abandoned you. You're welcome to come into the family. You're welcome to come and eat the best of food. 
if you're a thirsty soul like all of us are looking for something to satisfy that deep craving that just nothing in the world just seems to to satisfy that thing inside of me that that no matter how many relationships I have no much success I have no many things I buy there's still this deep eternal ache Jesus invites us come have your soul be satisfied have your sins forgiven come and experience my love come and experience my grace my mercy I'll satisfy your soul with living water that nothing can satisfy but me. It's finished. No more striving. Stop trying to be good. Stop trying to be moral. Stop trying to be religious. Stop trying to have everything together. I've completed it. It's perfected in me. Stop trying to make amends. Stop trying to to do penance. Receive me, receive my love, receive my grace, receive my forgiveness. And so when Jesus gets to the last saying here and he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, The arms of the Father are safe. They're the safest place in the universe, they're the safest place in all of eternity. Jesus knew from eternity past that. The arms of the Father were safe. He knew the love of the Father, despite him turning his back on him for a time so that he could complete his mission of taking on the sin of sins of the world, taking on the wrath of God, taking on the anger of God for a moment. Our judgment day heaped on the back of Jesus. Our transgressions, our sins put on his back by his wounds, we are healed so that we could have the peace of God. All of this to take place because he knew that the, the hands of the Father were safe the safest place in the universe. The same father that we see in Luke 15, that the father who welcomes home prodigals, who, who when the, the younger son runs away and squanders the inheritance, squanders the life savings, squanders everything, and he comes running back home. He doesn't know what to do, and he comes back to the father. Instead of the, the father scorning him, instead of the father kicking him out of the house, he throws one of the greatest parties that the world has ever seen and embraces him and kisses him and hugs him and loves him and says, I'm so glad that you're back. I've been waiting. Everything that I have is yours. And in the same way, Jesus on the cross knows that the loving arms of the Father are there. Welcome back, my son. You did it. Well done, my faithful servant. And isn't it interesting that Jesus, in the seventh saying, addresses God as Father, as Daddy, as Abba. It's a, it's a term of intimacy. It's a term of endearment. It's, it, it, it's a closeness. It's a connection. It's not this, this stoic distance between father and son. It's deep, loving relationship. And I know when many of us see God as father, it's, it's difficult to, to embrace. It's difficult to hear. Maybe you didn't have a great father. Maybe he was absent. Maybe he was abusive. Maybe he just never was around. But Jesus calls God Father, and that's enough for me, that if Jesus saw him as compassionate and tenderhearted and loving and gracious, so should we. We can put aside all of our pictures of what a good father is and embrace the one that's revealed to us in Scripture, the one of Luke 15, the one that embraces the prodigals, the older and the younger brother, even the older brother that says, I've done everything right, and where's my party? Even those, all of us need God's grace and God's mercy.
Jesus knew that the arms of the Father were safe. So all that Jesus is saying, all that Jesus is saying from the cross, these seven sayings are to point to this, that he's inviting us into relationship with the Father, a place that is safe, a place that is full of grace and mercy, a place where there's forgiveness and there's hope. And what a great reminder for us, all of us, whoever's listening to this, our church family, those outside of our church family, even those that, that don't believe in this time of uncertainty, in a pandemic, to say, where's the safest place in the universe? We can't bank it on our own health. We, we can't bank it on, bank it ironically, in our finances, our intellect, our own wisdom, our education, our experiences. The safest place in the universe, even in the midst of suffering, because Jesus shows us right in the midst of suffering, as he's dying, as he's being tortured for our sins, for the world's sins, for the evil of the world, the safest place in the universe is in the loving arms of the Father. And that's why you and I exist. That's why Jesus came in the flesh. That's why he, he lived among us. He moved into the neighborhood. That's why he lived and he died in what we'll celebrate in a few days, why he rose from the dead. That as we are united to him by faith, we, we are united in his death, but we're also united in his resurrection that that's ours as well. So all the blessings and all the promises given to Jesus are now ours in Christ. His forgiveness, his love, his new family to quench our thirst and to know that the safest place in the universe is the loving arms of the Father. And you, you can experience that just like I've experienced that. It's just by saying, I'm yours. I know I'm just like those criminals on the cross. I know I've committed terrible crimes in my heart. I know I've rebelled against you. I know I've done horrendous things to other people. But I'm entrusting myself into your arms, Father. I'm trusting you. I don't have all the answers. I don't, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what my life's going to, how it's going to turn out. I don't have, even understand all of this Christianity stuff and Jesus-y stuff, but, but the reality is I, I trust in you and the loving arms of a loving father. And that's how we become disciples of Jesus. Into your hands I commit my life. So whether life is going really well or horrible, if we live a long, long life or a short life, the arms of the Father are safe. And the cross of Christ proves it because he died to bring his prodigals home to the Father. And that's really, really, really good news. It's the best news in human history. It's the best news that will ever be. So I thought it would be appropriate for us to at least worship through song, at least one song, and have, I'll have a song after this playing, uh, The Beautiful Name of Jesus. That's why Good Friday really is good. The words will be on the screen. You can sing along and worship with your family or if you're by yourself. Uh, I just invite you to just think on, reflect on, meditate on the beautiful name of Jesus. There is no one like him. And he's done something that, that our minds and our hearts can, can hardly fathom how great he is. And what he went through 
to demonstrate his love to us and to the world, to bring us back into the safe arms of the Father. So I invite you to, to worship now. You won't see me again after the worship uh, song, uh, but I also want to invite you on Sunday. Whenever you're listening to this on Sunday at 10 a.m., we'll be live on Facebook and YouTube uh, to celebrate the resurrection where Jesus overcame sin and death and hell for us. And the tomb is empty, so we have reason to celebrate and sing. Go in God's grace. Go in God's peace.